0: The Stein Online Clubland Q&A begins right now.
1: Welcome along. Uh, Yeah, you might uh, find a few things a little bit glitchy today as I am on the road and uh, that's uh, just the way it is. In fact, I'll try and point myself at the microphone, which is a somewhat awkward angle to get at because that is just the way it is too. Uh, I'm not in my luxurious studio uh, where everything is uh, arranged to my every requirement but welcome along anyway it's July 8th 2022 that is just for Tony Allwright in Dublin the date check Uh, and there now follows our traditional and non-Tony Allwright specific recitation of the time zones it's 5 p.m north american eastern time that is 6 p.m in the canadian maritimes half past six in newfoundland and beyond the americas 10 p.m in london 11 p.m in paris midnight in moscow half past one in tehran for all you newfoundlanders who moved to Iran for the half-hour time zone, 2.45 a.m. in Kathmandu for all you Iranians who moved to Nepal to check out the quarter-hour time zone, 5 a.m. in Singapore, Honkers and Perth, and 6 a.m. on a Saturday morning in Nara, where the day before Friday, as it still is for many of us, the former Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe, was shot dead at a political campaign event. Uh, If you uh, follow our 100 Years Ago show, Sundays at Stein Online, you will know that such things are not unprecedented in Japanese history, uh, but they are certainly rare in contemporary Japan, and uh, that nation is in a state of shock. Douglas says... Mark, given the barbaric assassination of PM Abe, can you please comment on the importance of America's alliance with Japan and the rest of the Quad more generally? Our national focus should be on Asia. Europe is the past. I feel as though the war in Europe has brought both our attention and resources away from where it needs to be. East Asia, do you agree? Uh, Well, I would agree broadly, but except with respect to Japan, because Japan is also the past. It has horrible uh, demographic death spirals. And as I have written many times over the last 15 years, uh, everything that P.D. James said in The Children of Men is already coming true in uh, japan the idea of cat cafes where people who don't have any children can uh, order a cup of tea and pet a cat for half an hour Uh, dolls that are produced because there's no point making dolls for children anymore in japan the japanese don't have enough children to sustain a big toy market so instead they're making toys for uh old oldsters to be the grandchildren that they never got to have um they've advanced uh to from uh, hardworking nhs style uk nurses with calloused hands from all the shifts they're doing to these nice rather lifelike robots with soft, pliable, if entirely artificial hands to caress you and turn you over in the old folks' home every once in a while. So Japan is dying actually even quicker than Europe is. The, the interesting point we've made with respect to Ukraine and Russia is it's being fought between two parties with deathbed demographics. So uh, because... People are basically innumerate, and because old myths die hard, everybody thinks of Russia as the Russia that threw millions and millions of men into the Second World War. It doesn't have those millions of men to sacrifice anymore. It's a Giza nation. Uh, li- likewise, that is true in Ukraine. You know, so you can admire Zelensky, who's terribly buff for a world leader, certainly compared to Boris. Um, and he looks awfully cute in his tight t-shirt, but there's a great big lack of young men in tight t-shirts in Ukraine. Nobody, uh, for a couple of generations now, nobody has had any children. So Japan is basically a European nation that happens to be in the wrong part of the world. That is also true with other highly developed Asian nations, Douglas. This is actually a big point. You know, there's no point entering into long-term agreements with businesses that are going out of business. And that's the case with both the continent, uh, both Europe and with uh, actually uh, the highly developed nations of East Asia, by which I mean places like Singapore and South Korea and also Japan too. The only difference though between say Japan and Sweden, uh, Japan and Germany, Japan and France, is that Japan has decided to hold its big closing down sale as Japanese. So it's going to die as the Japanese nation. Uh, Germany, uh, France, Sweden are going to die as multicultural hellholes. And in fact, the multiculturalism is basically just a cover for, for the fact that they're going to die as semi-Islamic hellholes. But ja- Japan has made a, a decision, not publicly, but kind of, uh, you know, subliminally, they've all agreed on it, that it's going to go out of business as the country it has always been. I some Japan, I wrote about Japan in after America and America alone because it's so interesting to me the number of young Japanese women who have given up sex entirely. Uh, and you could perhaps uh, extend that to other parts of the world. But the interesting thing too is the number of young men who've just given up sex entirely. It's not just that these guys you know don't procreate. They don't go in for heavy petting. Uh, more and more people reach 30, 35, 40 without ever having had a girlfriend or boyfriend. And it, it there something has something has changed uh, in uh, s- somehow Japan, modern Japan, post Second World War Japan, has managed to rewire some basic human instincts, and that is, that is why. Uh, yeah, I I see what you mean that Europe is washed up, finished. Uh, who cares? Um, but uh, but you know, East Asia is not far behind, and the only difference is that. Europe imported a huge population of aliens to be the children they couldn't be bothered having themselves, and Japan has decided to go for robot technology and toys for adults and uh, various other novelties. John Fatshy says, When the lights go out for good, will Davos torch our corpses to read by? What is the end game here? look I I, um, I I guess I I'm not a I, I have res- resisted for most of my life conspiracy theories uh, not not because I believe in the the cock-up theory of disaster that it's simply the incompetence of these people um, I have no doubt that Uh, And I agree with what some of our guests have been saying over the past few days about Boris Johnson's defenestration, and also what some people have been saying at Stein Online. I think it was Sal Tessio who said, look, yes, he's crap, but they wouldn't have done this to him if he'd been a crap Labour prime minister. They got rid of him because he's a crap Conservative prime minister. And there's a bit of truth, and there's certainly some truth in that too. But what is up is that all the people who govern us say insane things, like abolishing the internal combustion engine by 2030, which was one of Boris Johnson's plans. And I think if you listen to these people, they have sounded bonkers for years now. The Prince of Wales has sounded bonkers, uh, basically, since he stopped having to juggle two women Uh, And he had more time on his hands to think big thoughts. All his big thoughts are bonkers. Uh, Culminating in the one he made uh, that we had eight years to save the planet. And I think that eight years expired five years ago. Um, So here's here's the point. These guys talk all the time about the Great Reset. The The way to deal with them is just to say, look, Let's, they wouldn't be saying this stuff. They're, they're princes and prime ministers and presidents. They wouldn't be saying this stuff if they didn't think it. Not all the time like this. So let's assume they mean it. Now, they're advocating. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to wonder why uh, the Prince of Wales, uh, the prime ministers of all these countries, the president of france the president of the united states are talking complete crap uh, about climate catastrophe but they believe it enough to destroy your life uh, if you're in the united states and you're watching gas head up to six seven eight bucks a gallon wherever it's gonna settle that's simply because you've got your energy self-sufficient but uh, the guy who's supposedly running your country, the guy who gets propped up in front of the prompter to make an ass of himself every day, uh, and the people who are uh, have got their hands up him, waggling the brain dead husk of a sock puppet, those those guys. All know you're energy independent, and that gas, instead of being uh, six bucks a gallon, could be a buck fifty. But they don't want you having buck fifty domestic oil. They don't want you. They're doing this to us deliberately. Now, then, you listen to other people. You listen to the the. It's this malign alliance between uh, the world's leaders who all increasingly uh, think alike, so that it wouldn't make any difference if you suddenly woke up and instead of being Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern was Prime Minister of Canada. It wouldn't make a haper for difference. They're all interchangeable. They have stylistic things. You know, Justin likes to... Uh, dress up in blackface and Boris likes to do that uh, bring in that uh, 600 pound an hour uh, hairdresser to come and uh, mess up his hair so it looks like that uh, goes with his shambolic image and all the rest of it and Joe Biden likes to uh, walk totteringly toward the podium and then squint and talk in a hoarse whisper but who you know, these are just stylistic ticks. Stylist, we would Stark, David Stark, and I were talking a bit about this the other day. That's this is the this is the difference on on things like whether you should be able to have cheap gasoline to put in your tank. They're all agreed you shouldn't. they are all agreed you shouldn't really be going anywhere, because it's all this ordinary people, when it was just the Prince of Wales and other princes, and yes, okay, the occasional Duke, and yes, okay, maybe the occasional younger son of a Viscount, when they were the only people traipsing around on the Grand Tour a couple of hundred years ago, everything was fine. Then you people, you know... You instead of just being content with your pokey little flat, you decide, oh well, maybe I'd like a uh, condo in uh, Florida. Oh, I can't afford a condo in Florida. Well, maybe I, maybe I, Well, what could I get? A, a cottage in Wales or a seaside villa in Greece? And once you guys all start doing that, the whole planet goes. So these, guys, I think, the easiest way to look at this, John, is that these guys talk utopian. You know, they think there's too many of us. In fact, birth rates have totally collapsed, as we were just saying. They've collapsed throughout Europe. They're particular, all the countries we like and we say, oh, I'm going to flee to uh, Eastern Europe. They're all the ones with uh, uh, fertility rates that have collapsed even more than Western Europe's has. So they've collapsed. Canada's has collapsed. Japan's has collapsed. The G7 is barren, and the United States, all one can say about it is that it was the last to join uh, the rest of the developed world in its preference for childlessness. And that's not a small thing either. It's a very weird thing. And it's particularly interesting when you realize that, as I said, we have this alliance between. Princes and presidents and prime ministers, all of whom are completely interchangeable. And then they have this alliance with woke bazillionaires uh, who have these utopian visions. You know, the interesting thing, everyone's going on about Elon Musk, uh, who's noticed uh, my America alone thesis that uh, basically the... Uh, civilization that built the modern world is going out of business and isn't going to be here in a couple of generations. He's noticed it, and he's talking about. It and everyone's up in a Why is he doing this? Why is he talking like this? He sounds like a racist. And what they uh, what they don't seem to mind is people randomly talking about how we re- need to reduce the population on the planet. Okay. That's an interesting thing to say. How are you going to accomplish that? Because generally it's absent war, absent famine. It's not an easy thing to do. And it's not such a leap from there to say to see that if they're prepared to do this, uh, then they wouldn't be prepared to... Um, you know, consider some serious measures to achieve their goals. Now, then we have had the last couple of extremely odd years um, where, um, as, I, uh, as David Starkey and I were, were talking, lockdown, the right-wing leaders who embraced lockdown are now gone. Trump, Scott Morrison in Australia... And now Boris Johnson, the left-wing leaders uh, who embraced lockdown have survived. Justin Trudeau, Emmanuel Macron. Gee, gee, it's almost that lockdown is a left-wing thing, and that right-wing voters don't like it. So, in that case, why did they go for it? Why did their leaders go for it? You know, I, I think, I think covid and lockdown and the world we've lived in in two for two years has been designed to accomplish certain immediate things and then certain long-term things the certain immediate things it got rid of trump that's that was its first accomplishment now the interesting thing is it's felled boris johnson who lost his you know The the fantastic victory. He had no uh, opportunity to capitalize on it and do anything because COVID came along and he listened to uh, the uh, UK equivalents of Doc Fauci. So he's gone. He's over. And Michael Heseltine gave the game away when he said, you you get rid of Boris, you get rid of Brexit. That's what's going to happen unless something miraculous occurs. Uh, they're going to say we're going to solve the Northern Ireland Protocol by uh, the, the by which Northern Ireland, it, through a, a grotesque interpretation of the stupid Belfast Agreement, um, is obliged to remain under EU trade regulations. So there is, in effect, a trade barrier. Yeah, running down the Irish Sea between Northern Ireland and Great Britain, they're going to say you're right. That's a terrible, terrible, terrible thing, and we're going to solve it by putting Great Britain back under the trade regulatory authority of Brussels. Just you wait. They'll do it sort of incrementally, so that uh, so that the UK will become a kind of passive, uh, 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 passive and compliant with the European Union. Uh, without, um, without, uh, without having any voting rights or anything. So I think we are at, now. Here's the thing: the question is, who are they doing it for? Are they doing it just because they're utopian madmen, or are they doing it just because they've got it? They're on the take from China. You know, Boris Johnson's father and Boris Johnson's brother, Boris Johnson's father, whom I can't stand and who is one of the reasons why Boris Johnson is not prime minister, uh, Stanley Johnson, awful man, and uh, one of Boris Johnson's useless brothers, are both uh, basically on the, you know, they're both getting money from China. They both never criticized China. They're a bit like the, but the China is very interested in families. The Biden, because it's better if you're going to invest in, you know, why would you invest in someone who's just a lonely, solitary bachelor? If you've got multi-generational, influential families, the Bidens in America, the Trudeaus in Canada, uh, the Johnsons in the UK, why not snaffle up families? And so the question here is whether these guys, the Western guys are just dupes and patsies, in it for the money and that what comes after is countries that behave as traditional empires such as china and even uh, and even russia but uh john you're right the well uh, the end game is a the end game is a western world that looks a lot more like latin america uh, this is from the western leaders point of view there will be an elite The elite are all interchangeable. They'll all still have their... uh, We're seeing a preview of it now. You can still... If you've got a private plane like Justin and Boris were joking about at the G7, you can still zip around here and there and everything's fine and dandy. If you're someone who's done sort of okay, so you can afford to fly business class from... uh, you know, from uh, L.A. to Hong Kong, your life is hell because they've just screwed all the, all the airports. are, You know, I happen to have done more traveling in the last few days than I would have wished to do because Heathrow is kaput uh, and a lot of other places are kaput too. So there's going to be a super elite, the John Kerry level of elite, and then... Um, a great seething mass of people who have carbon alliance allowances on the bottom. So, a very we're basically beggaring ourselves and destroying ourselves as free societies. These guys are doing it in order to save the planet, supposedly, uh, but in effect, they're saving the planet for China, uh, which won't have much use to John for John Kerry by the time all this uh, shakes out. Uh, Xavier in Ohio says, Hi, Mark. I believe you have previously discussed the idea that physically large countries are difficult to govern. Could you please expand on this? How difficult is it for someone to effectively govern the United States is in its present status with a large geographical area and a population of 300 and thirty million plus. What aspects are unique to the U.S. versus Russia, Brazil, etc.? Thanks. I've only really alluded to it because of a book I read called *The Size of Nations* some years ago. And uh, and they have a line in there to the point to to the point where um, if America were as centralised as France, it would have broken up two hundred years ago. And I think that's true. The problem is now America is becoming highly centralized. Uh, You have federal mandates for everything. Uh, You have um, less and less meaningful state discretion on a lot of things. Um, the, the, the the thing is only... I mean, for example, the British Empire was supposedly a unitary empire in that um, executive authority rested with one person in London, but it governed with a light touch. It didn't attempt to govern uh, remote South Pacific islands the way it governed Quebec. So... If you're decentralized, then the size doesn't matter. Um, But if you have a centralized heavy-handed government as the United States certainly does these days, then I think it is hard to govern a population of 330 million plus. I also think nobody wanted a 350 million, 400 million, 500 million uh size united states i think that's worth bearing in mind it's rocketed up at a a huge um at a huge pace it was still a hundred and something million uh in 1970 so in in 50 years it has dramatically increased in size not because anyone's been terribly fecund but just because you've had third world immigration transformative immigration uh, and basically, if you're importing people at that rate, and here's where you know all the stuff about oh, but the Ellis Island, the nation of immigrants, give us your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. It's on some statue there. But yeah, the statue's the Statue of Liberty. Great idea. From here's where Americans making jokes about the French reaches its limitations. The French came up with the idea of a Statue of Liberty, because that's how they thought of America, as a Statue of Liberty, shining her torch of liberty to the world. And the idiot Americans who got the statue then stapled a totally crap poem on it and turned it into a statue of mass immigration. So that instead of shining liberty out to the world, instead it's saying, come on down world, our door is open. And I don't believe, I don't believe that a 500 million person America, a 400 million person America, I mean, you do the arithmetic here, well, they're basically, uh, right now, Joe Biden, since he become, became uh, the alleged chief executive of the United States, has, uh, has been letting in uh, something like a million people every three months. And as I always say, you know, Trump's line about why don't we get any people from non-bleephole countries like Norway doesn't work because Norway only has four to five million people. So they could all, at the current rate of immigration uh, in the United States, they would all be here in about seven or eight months. And you'd be out of Norwegians if everybody in Norway were to come to America. Uh, At that rate, you run out of the non-bleephole countries pretty bloody quickly. And the bleepholes are all you're left with. That's the point. It's one of the reasons I regret Donald Trump wasted so much time talking to people who weren't worth his time, because I could have put that to him in 45 seconds. It's a numbers. It's a numbers thing there. And then again, you know, Xavier, just to just to look at that, just just to look at that more generally, if you look at the nations with the highest quality of life, with the Uh, highest per capita GDP and all the rest of it they are small countries and actually I'm not even particularly talking about Norway and Denmark uh, places that aren't so uh, wealthy uh, which is certainly true when you get to Eastern Europe I mean Hungary is an agreeable place in part because it hasn't got 300 million people and there's something to be said for being a small nation such as, um, you know, Slovenia. Uh, life is, when, when the world is mad and world affairs are mad, as they are now, it's nice to be a Slovene and not to be expected. I mean, okay, sure, at parties, someone might occasionally ask you what you make of Ukraine, but they don't expect you to, no one cares enough to invite the Prime Minister of Slovenia to join Zelensky on a walkabout of Kiev. There's something to be said for being small uh, small country out of the cross-current of world affairs when the world generally is mad. Eric Dale says, Hey Mark, do the World Economic Forum members really think their plans will work? Assuming they put every policy they want in place and stakeholder capitalism is the world's dominant ideology, do they really think that is a stable arrangement? It seems to me they're just setting up a world where violent revolution is just one food crisis away. Does Bill Gates or Mark Zuckerberg think that only politicians can get assassinated? Uh, No, they don't they they think they're pretty safe they all think they're pretty safe they think in particular the west is is sufficiently tame because they look at the covid years and yes if you go on the internet and if you listen to occasional radio shows and you you you'll hear people you know so say, saying uh, oh i don't know about these vaccines a 14 year old girl i know just dropped dead while running around on the sports field yes you'll hear that and what happened i mean you know i've learned a lot these last couple of years. And I keep quoting that George Orwell line, there is no turbulence left in England. And we have had some spectacular things, the Canadian truckers, the Dutch farmers right now. We've also achieved more quietly a couple of victories. I, I was slightly surprised at how quickly, for example, uh, the UK government, caved in uh, with respect to our vaccine victims once we started putting them on television every other night Uh, and they account not a lot of people have gotten that 120,000 pounds and it's not a lot of money but they they hadn't handed out one award for a a year and a half and then the first one they handed it to was Vicky Spitt Uh, who came on uh, my show and talked about uh, what had happened to the great love of her life. And it was interesting to me how, and it made me, you know, I I got angry because I realised how much more could have been done for these people if somebody else other than GB News had bothered to take up their course. But, But it's the same with... Tucker in America, and with one or two other people across the map. For all the people who are aware of these things, the vast mass just potter on about their lives. So for example, they're told to jab their babies. There's no science behind that at all. But people oh, I must get my six-month-old jabbed. So they're pretty confident after the last two years that, quote, there is no turbulence left in England, unquote, and no turbulence left in Belgium and no turbulence left in New Zealand and no turbulence left in, they're pretty confident about that. But this, they know that if there is turbulence, they now have the means, as medieval kings, medieval tyrants did not, they now have the means to kill the turbulence. Why did the US truckers thing go nowhere? Uh, Because while everyone thought it would be great to get an American version of what happened in Canada going, everyone in America knew that uh, the FBI, a dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt, Department of Justice, and all the rest of the dirty, stinking, rotten, corrupt, deep, deep state had devoted all their resources to tracking down anyone who had anything to do with anyone who was anywhere near Washington, D.C. on January the 6th, and they threw them in solitary confinement and threw away the key. Likewise, in Canada, uh, oh, did you give uh, $100 to those uh, truckers? Well, we've frozen your bank account. You know that's the difference. That's the difference between the medieval tyrants of yore and the guys we live with today. Technology and the state now go hand in hand, and uh, that's what makes it even more Orwellian. Um, I'm going to be in uh, I'm going to be in um, Northern Ireland uh, next week. And so I thought I'd, uh, for our musical interlude, I'd play a song by, uh, uh, the I think, the most successful uh, songwriter ever to come out of Northern Ireland, certainly until uh, Van Morrison. And uh, Van, uh, as he'll be the first to tell you, is a big fan of this guy. Jimmy Kennedy, he was the son of a, uh, a policeman in the Royal Irish Constabulary, and he loved uh, where he grew up in Ireland. And then he became a huge international hit maker, uh, publishing songs through Denmark Street in London, which is the home of uh, Britain's Tin Pan Alley. And he's got a fabulous catalog. Uh, and um, I love, uh, I, I think of him, he, you know, he, was, Ulster, he was born in Oma and he lived at Port Stewart and a lot of his songs were inspired by things he saw in and about Northern Ireland, but uh, his big songs don't, you know, if you're expecting, if you're Irish, come into the parlor, Uh, or uh, did your mother come from Ireland, or if you ever go across the sea to Ireland and watch, no, 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 no. Uh, He didn't do that kind of thing. He did, if you're Turkish, come into the parlor.
0: Istanbul was Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Been a long time gone, old Constantinople. Still it's Turkish delight on a moonlit night. Every gal in Constantinople lives in Istanbul, not Constantinople. So if you've a day in Constantinople, you'll be waiting in Istanbul. Even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Why they changed it, I can't say. People just liked it better that way. Take me back to Constantinople. No, you can't go back to Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business but the Turks. People just liked it better that way Take me back to Constantinople No, you can't go back to Constantinople Now it's Istanbul, not Constantinople Why the Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business
1: Why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business but the Turks. What a great line that is. That's a line by Jimmy Kennedy uh, and, a, uh, and a terrific song that he wrote with uh, Nat Simon. And um, I, I love Jimmy Kennedy's songs and I'm looking forward. I love uh, thinking about them as I drive around parts of the world where he lived, like uh, Omar and Port Stewart, where I'm going to be. Uh, next week. So uh, I I hope you'll forgive me for indulging myself in a, a little bit of uh, Jimmy Kennedy and uh, his uh, and his great uh, songs. Uh, I'm sorry if some of you have had a few difficulties with the internet uh we've just got a uh, it's i'm just doing it on the road and sometimes it doesn't work out as uh, quite as good as uh, as uh, you hope so if you do miss anything i hope you'll uh, enjoy the replay uh cross border gal i don't believe you for a moment when cross border gal first started submitting questions as cross border gal I was prepared to believe she was a cross-border gal, but it's getting more and more difficult to cross borders. So unless your arms are entirely stuck with vaccine jabs uh, or, you know, some old bootlegging routes across the border, I don't know whether cross-border gal is still a cross-border gal. Anyway, CBG writes, Hi Mark, one concern about Boris's defenestration is that whoever succeeds him as PM might be worse, and there are not many obvious qualified or untainted candidates. But there are a couple of bright lights. You have mentioned Tony Abbott's splendid idea. Look, here's the thing. Unless our politics and our elections are now just arranged in Davos, and the result is then, you know, they, they think someone like... Um, Uh, you know, Jeremy Corbyn is a bit too strong meat, so uh, maybe we should, it's better off uh, taking a chance on Boris Johnson or whatever. But um, assuming that the normal rules of elections apply, which they don't, obviously, in the United States, because, as we know, Joe Biden, quote, unquote, won without winning any of the so-called bellwether districts, uh, (laughs) which is kind of statistically impossible, but is one of those things that uh, everybody in the American media has agreed not to mention, uh, or you'll get fired if you mention it, which is why the butch boys all went quiet about it. Um, so, so the, 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 the Tories would almost, as I said, in the modern era, which in Britain generally means since the 1832 Reform Act, so we're talking 200 years. Nobody's done this fifth election victory. It would be complete unprecedented. The, the, the tragedy is normally when it's time for your party to, to, for the pendulum to swing and your party to get kicked out, you've got a huge bunch of achievements. Like when the Tories fell in 1997 to Tony Blair, they had the Thatcher era as, as their legacy. The uh, the Tories of the 2010s have no bloody legacy. They're ghastly. They're awful. They've governed as socialists and as woke wankers. So uh, that's is so. With the great exception of Brexit, which was nothing to do with the Conservative Prime Ministers, whether you want to name uh, Theresa May or David Cameron or Boris Johnson, who was an opportunist who hopped aboard. it I mean, it was Nigel Farage who gave up his career basically to labour for something that everyone told him couldn't be done, and he pulled it off. And whatever you feel about Nigel, he's got that. Uh, So the one achievement of the so-called 12 years of conservatism was actually done by... Nigel now uh so that's the way the the pendulum swings that's the way the pendulum swings um what uh cross border gal uh, says though is that you know if you found the right candidate they might be able to win a fifth one uh, and she continues you have mentioned tony abbott splendid idea yeah okay and i mean this seriously you got to think if you want that fifth election victory you got to think out of the box and that means uh, you've got to think, oh, yeah, under uh, the, uh, the uh, C- uh, Commonwealth guys are admissible too. I'd be happy. I think Tony would be great. I'd be happy for Maxime Bernier from the People's Party of Canada, Le Parti Populaire du Canada. I think uh, a UK uh, audience could be persuaded to find his Gallic tones very charming and indeed sexy. So I'd be any interested party from the Commonwealth who wants to join in is welcome. Um, Cross Border Gal says another is Lord Frost, though not mentioned in the British mainstream media. His name has been in the Telegraph and the Express. He was also mentioned favorably by John O'Sullivan on last night's GB News interview. I think that that was, was it last night? Yeah, maybe it was. And in your January interview with Frost, you asked if he would consider running for PM. He answered, never say never. Should we look forward to Frost resigning his House of Lords seat and making a bid for PM, or will it be left to you to lobby Abbott and help save Britain from globalism, wokeism and net zero? Your thoughts. Um, well, as I was rather technical about it with uh, Frost when he was on the show, because if I understand the—well, I did understand it at one point—the Peerage Renunciation Act of 1963, 63 was it? Yeah, uh, you couldn't renounce a uh, a law peerage, a life peerage, or a peerage of the first creation um so basically you had if you wanted to renounce a peerage, you had to be like um alec hume you had to be a 14th earl to do it i don't know whether that's changed since the um since uh, the, tony blair wrecked the house of lords uh, 25 years ago i don't know whether that's changed um and so when you say can he just resign his house of the law house of lord's seat i don't know quite whether it works uh like that um so i was trying to get an answer from him on that and i think he does know and i would be interested to hear what his view about that is so maybe i should get him back and interview him about that but you know these these that there, there, there is there is a club and some guys are in the club, as we've seen, and some guys are... And and they do nurse them. Uh, this World Economic Forum... They don't just wait for people to become, you know, a foreign minister or whatever, and then take an interest in them. They spot these guys uh, coming along quite early. And they take an interest in them, and they make sure that they stay within the club. Now, I'll tell you a couple of... I'll tell you a couple of things. I was, um, at some at points in my life, I've been semi-welcomed into the club because at one point I looked as if I was the coming man and uh, they thought, you never know, I might do a Boris Johnson and decide to go into politics. So uh, I'd occasionally get invitations to these big globalist shindigs. And I think you know if you Google around uh, enough out there on the internet, you can you can get a sense of some of the people I've uh, occasionally been invited to chew the fat with. And uh, I don't, I didn't generally care for it. I didn't like the way uh, they, I didn't like the way that they were all in agreement on everything. And they saw, they were all in agreement on the policies and they were also all in agreement that what you had to do was to devise means, essentially to put these things beyond democratic accountability. That's very easy to do in the European Union. It's a slightly subtler business in America, but it's not impossible because if you think about it, how often in America do we actually have any national uh con- you know oh, immigration 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 yeah again it's on talk radio people are mad about it but how often do you have big debates on this roiling congress or uh, even going out in 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 the wider sense of the world we're about to reach the point you know all this is why I, i'm so bored You know, I don't want to sort of moan and complain all the time. (laughs) But, uh, you know, one of the reasons why I enjoy the GB News show is because generally, except when something like uh, the last couple of days happens, uh, we don't talk about the personalities of politics on that show. You know, we don't do all the horse race crap on that we talk about what I think of as as issues. Now we've got it where right now, on the, if you pick up, you know, if you listen to talk radio, oh, it's red wave, red wave, big red wave coming. Nothing like this red wave has ever been seen. Red wave, red wave, red wave, and then there's going to be the midterm election, November. Now we're still best part of six months away from the election but again oh we're already going red wave red wave red wave you know at least the thing with boris it it uh, the guy groped uh the guy groped the bottoms at the carlton club on june the 30th thursday night and by uh july the 7th boris johnson had resigned Uh, So that's uh, a week soup to nuts. Now, what's going to happen in America is that after the midterm elections on November the 3rd or whenever they are, we're then going to have two years of stupid, pointless personality picks where, you know, you're going to get all those crappy campaign ads saying with the soft focus dawn coming up over an Ohio cornfield and, uh, you know, the voiceover saying, I'm proud to say I was born the son of a mailman and all this kind of thing. And we will talk about personalities and the horse race and who's looking good for the Iowa caucus and the New Hampshire primary for two years. And in that two years, all kinds of things will have happened and we could have had all kinds of substantive conversations on stuff that actually matters. And we don't have that. And it's difficult, you know, after you've seen all the people, uh, if you live in New Hampshire, and I think back on generations of coming men who've traipsed through that state, what, ha- what is going to have to happen? is that ordinary people, the kind of people, and I know it's difficult, but the kind of people who, well, you know, I'm, I don't really know whether we should be paying all this high tax just to save the planet in case the oceans rise in the 22nd century, but everybody seems to feel we should, so I don't really like to speak up, so I just go a bit quiet when any of that comes up. It's people like that who are going to actually—you you, you are, without you know being obnoxious or anything—so-called um, everyday people, as uh, as Hillary Clinton likes to say, are going to have to uh, start uh, start getting in this fight. Otherwise, we're going to lose it all. I mean, you look at it now: freedom of movement is gone, freedom of speech has shrunk. Because all the things that are applied to the climate change debate suddenly get applied to all kinds of other things, like wacky things, like guys who are hung like horses running in your daughter's sports race. And and so the whole, oh, I just want a quiet life. It's the quiet life. The utopian madmen are small in number, but it's cowing the quiet life people that is the reason they're winning. And that's just a glum fact of this thing. MMF writes, thank you, Mark, for your coverage of the Queen's Platinum Jubilee on GB News. Also celebrating 70 years this year is Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap. I'd like to hear your comments on that and the St. Martin's Theatre. That's right, it was shut for a bit uh, during COVID, but it's back. And you can still go and see it every night and if you are in uh london i don't know why you'd want to be given the state of heathrow airport but if you can find some way to get there that doesn't involve heathrow airport uh, you should go along to see the mousetrap because it's actually in pretty good shape for a 70 year old live theater show um uh, so MMF says, my daughter and I enjoyed the show. I was quite surprised to find that the evening show on a Tuesday was sold out. So I don't think it's in any danger of going away anytime soon. I was also relieved that it wasn't woke or otherwise updated. Uh, the daughter also tried kippers and kedgery while in the UK. God bless her, MMF. It, uh, Ked- kippers and kedgery are both things that should be introduced to non-Commonwealth jurisdictions. But yeah, I I know a little bit about them. Agatha Christie is such a huge best-selling novelist that people don't realize she actually had a rather successful career as a playwright. I think at one point in the late 40s, she was putting out a play a year, and sometimes those plays were adapted from her novels, but just as often, she would then take the play and turn it into a novel. Uh, the Mousetrap, if I recall correctly, is based on a short story of hers, which has never been published anywhere in uh, the British Commonwealth, um, because of, a, a provi- I think, a provision of her estate or something. And uh, but it, it is it is in some collection in the United States which uh, managed to uh, evade her lawyers in some way I'm not quite sure of. The reason the mouse trap is so good. Uh, I knew the producer of the show, Sir Peter Saunders, who was a uh, a great impresario. Normally, you'll know this if you go and see a show on Broadway that's just been running six months. Uh, the pit band is full of subs and uh, the stars have been replaced by people who can't, aren't quite up to it and the whole thing is a bit rough at the edges and uh, all the rest of it. Uh, Sir Peter Saunders was a guy who kept that show uh, in tip-top shape. Uh, I knew him mainly through uh, his delightful wife, Katie Boyle, I won't need to explain katie's name to any british people listening she was the late she was on eurovision for years she was the lady who used to say uni, point." she had a fabulous i've done her no justice there she had a fabulous voice old school bbc voice and um, and she was uh, great fun and uh, marvelous company and um for some reason. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't, I, I can't, it was an anecdote. It was something to do with uh, having a breast reduction exercise. And I don't think, I don't think it's appropriate to uh, tell it at this juncture, but it just popped up unbidden in my brain. Anyway, um, uh, I've, I got, I've completely forgot, I got totally distracted there. Yeah, she, um, anyway, uh, Peter Saunders was her husband and he, and the other connection I have with the slight connection I have with the mousetrap is I knew Hubert Gregg, um, who was a BBC colleague of mine and he used to, uh, he's the guy who, uh, wrote uh maybe it's because i'm a londoner that i love london so and you can hear all the cheery cockneys in the east end still singing that cost among us as they go about oh no wait you can't because They're all Muslim now, so they're singing Allahu Akbar. Um, But anyway, Hubert wrote that big hit and he wrote a fabulous wartime song, I'm gonna get lit up when the lights go on in London, which many of you will know the story of. It was a drunken BBC announcer who was doing the coverage of the review of the fleet, uh, (laughs) which used to be a big thing, the Royal Navy review of the fleet and he was totally drunk. And so when they put all the lights on, on all the ships, which is pretty spectacular, he just couldn't say anything. The fleet's lit up, it's lit lit up, it's lit up. And so uh, Hubert wrote, I'm gonna get lit up when the lights go on in London, as a song about waiting for the war to end so you could get plastered. Um, but uh, Hubert was called in by Agatha Christie to work uh, with him on some of her plays. He directed some of them and he starred in some of them. And um, if you if you ever listened to Hubert, it would always be that anything in those plays that worked was his idea, and Agatha basically knew nothing about the theater. And uh, I sort of forgiv- forgave him uh, that because, Unlike Dame Agatha, he never really made any money. He was one of these people who had a lot of talent, but never converted it into gold the way Dame Agatha did. So anyway, um, uh, I I disagree with him on that. And particularly in the case of the mousetrap, I think that was actually a brilliant thing on on her part. Uh, So I'm... uh, Uh, i i'm glad you enjoyed it and uh let's say one more one from deborah mckenzie hi mark what does it say about canada or the liberal party that not a single liberal cabinet minister has resigned in protest over trudeau's many parliamentary ethics breaches and deborah contrasts this with the way everyone has resigned in uh, the UK, Uh, uh, are they more ethical? She says, and what do you think of Tamara Leach if the Truckers Freedom Convoy being found guilty of breaching her bail conditions because of a three second conversation and a photo? Canada's justice system is starting to look a bit Banana republicish now. Love seeing your GB News show. Keep up the great work, Deborah. Yeah, basically this is uh, the, 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 the liberals are running a one-party state and they've managed to bend the police and the judiciary to that condition. But it's also true, uh, and this is where I don't buy the everyone resigned because of Boris and the trouser groper uh it's nothing to do with being ethical it's that boris isn't on board you know the so the reason w- i mean you don't even need any of this recent stuff the fact that a man can appear in blackface till early middle age and there's pictures and and the uh, and um and the fact that within 20 minutes of the story emerging um that People like Rosemary Barton on the CBC are saying, oh, does this mean we need to start having a national conversation about racism? Hey, screw off, Rosie. I don't wear blackface. And oddly enough, uh, whatever I think of you, You don't wear blackface either. There's one guy who's wearing blackface and he's sitting at 24 Sussex Drive. Oh, but don't you think we should have a national conversation about racism? What this says about uh, the deep roots of uh, racism in... (sighs) No, it's nothing to... do. None of the... This is all ginger growler of the day. And And when it's useful, you know, if Boris Johnson wore blackface, he'd be gone. If Justin Trudeau groped bottoms in the Carlton Club he'd still be around uh, that's that it's different rules for the uh, for the left and the right which is a sorry thing to have to say but unfortunately is where we are in this uh, in this wretched state um, let's have another uh, Ulster song I'm looking forward to being back in uh, Ulster. Uh, and so let's have another Ulster song uh, to close. And, uh, you know, we, we all know Ireland. It's a small island d- d- divided by centuries-old sectarian divisions. So you're probably wondering if uh, Jimmy Kennedy uh, ever wrote anything uh, addressing the, uh, the, the symbol of the division in Ireland. That border, that border. Well, yes, he did. He teamed up with uh, Michael Carr from Dublin, so it's perfectly non-sectarian. We've got an Ulsterman and a Dubliner, uh, and they're teaming up to write a great Irish song, uh, such a great Irish song indeed, that among the many who have recorded it, is Frank Sinatra
0: South of the border Down Mexico way That's where I fell in love When the stars above Came out to play and now, as I wander, my thoughts ever stray. South of the border, down Mexico Way, she was a picture in old Spanish lace. Just for a tender while, I kissed the smile upon her face. Cause it was fiesta And we were so gay South of the border Mexico way Then she sighed as she whispered Manana Never dreaming that we were parting And I lied as I whispered Manana Cause our tomorrow never came south of the border i jumped back one day there in a veil of white by the candlelight she knelt to pray the mission bells told me that i mustn't stay south of the border mexico way The mission bells told me, ding dong, that I must not stay, stay south of the border, down Mexico way, I.
1: Does it get any more Ulster than that? (laughs) South of the Backstop, down Mullingar Way. Music by Michael Carr, raised in Dublin, south of the border, although there wasn't one then. Uh, Words by Jimmy Kennedy, born in Omar, north of the border. I'm going to be north of the border next week. Hope you'll swing by. In between now and then, Rick McGuinness' Saturday movie date, the 100 Years Ago show, Stein's Song of the Week, all manner of good things right here at Stein Online. Stay safe, stay free.
0: Mark Stein's Clubland Q&A is a production of Mark Enterprises and Oak Hill Media. Rights Reserved.